Have you ever had the experience of meeting somebody for the first time and you suspect that they are a fellow uh, Christian, a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever had that experience? You, and it's maybe even hard to pinpoint why that is. Maybe it's something about their demeanor, the way they carry themselves, the way they interact with other people that that causes you to suspect, suspect, I think that person's a Christian. Or it might even be that it's just the Holy Spirit in you recognizes the Holy Spirit in them. It's like deep calling out to deep, and you, you just you, you sense that. Uh, one of the reasons I, I believe that often happens is because as Christians, there are things that, that distinguish us. There are, are marks uh, of being a Christian. And a couple years ago, I... I did a little study to try and figure out what are the, the marks that, that distinguish a, a person who is a follower of Jesus. And I looked through the scriptures and I came up with eight marks, eight distinguishing uh, qualities, you would, could say, of, of someone who's a, a follower of Jesus. One of those qualities is the, the thing we're going to talk about today, and that is generosity. Generosity. Christians are called to be generous. Uh, we read in Philippians chapter 2 that we are commanded to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Uh, and I think of Jesus as the most generous person that has ever walked this earth. And we are called to have the same attitude as Jesus. We are called to lives of generosity. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we have looked at one uh, very specific um, part of generosity, and that is giving. Uh, giving of our money. But generosity encompasses a, a lot more currencies than just the currency of money. Generosity entails everything that we do. What is generosity? At its core, generosity, I think, is love in action. That's a great definition. Generosity is love in action. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Father God, we recognize you and worship you as being extraordinarily generous with us. We pray that you would transform us by the power of your word and the power of your spirit so that our lives might reflect your love and your generosity more and more. I ask now that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, verse 9 through 12, the passage that we just talked about in our children's sermon, it says this, as the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy might be complete. I've told this to you so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, you'll notice that this passage that I selected doesn't mention the word generous or generosity, but rather the word love. I believe generosity and love are so closely aligned that most of us can't distinguish between one or the other. 
To be generous is to love, and to love is to be generous. They go hand in hand with one another. And so Jesus is letting us know that we, like, like him, are called to be conduits of love. We're called to be conduits. The balloon is not supposed to just get bigger and bigger until it pops. We are supposed to, to be channels of God's love, coming in, going out. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love as I have loved you. Now love one another. And here's the wonderful thing about it all. Jesus says, if you do this, your joy will be complete generosity, love in action, Jesus says, is actually a pathway to joy. And I think the reason we're tempted to withhold generosity is because we don't believe that. We have a, a misconstrued idea of generosity. We think of generosity in kind of a win-lose uh, mentality, that if I'm generous with you, you win, but I lose. You come out on top, but I, I come out below, but Jesus identifies generosity and love as a, a win-win for everybody, that my joy will be complete. So if the premise is true that we have everything that we need to be generous, uh, you know, someone might say, I, I, God hasn't wired me to be generous. Like, it's just not my personality type. And I want to be gracious, but I want to say hogwash. Like, God has given us everything that we need to be generous. It doesn't, but generosity eclipses your personality type. It's bigger than whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Generosity is simply about love. And every single one of us has been equipped with all that we need to love. And so if that premise is true, that we have everything we need to be generous, then the question before us is, how can I become more generous? How do I do this practically speaking? If I'm called to be a, a conduit of generosity, a conduit of love, then the place for me to begin is not on how do I, I get the love out, but I need to begin with a, an awareness of the love that's coming in, the air that's going into the, into the balloon. And so that's where we're going to start this morning is, is trying to grow our awareness of just how much God loves us of how generous God has been with us. And so I, I thought through the scriptures, and I think there's three really big areas. I mean, it's all throughout the scriptures, but there's three really big areas where God's generosity is on display. It's on display in creation. It's on display in redemption. And it's on display in our sanctification. So let, let me just work through those. Creation, this world drips with the generosity of God. In the beginning, the earth, we read in Genesis 1, was formless and empty. Outside of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there was nothing. Darkness, a void, emptiness. Had God chosen not to create, the world would not exist. We would not exist. We are, you are, a result of the initiative of God, the generous initiative of God. Now, I know this is Christianity 101. This is stuff that, that we've known for a long time, but it is absolutely essential. Apart from God, there is no world. Apart from God, there is no me, there is no you, 
It's because of the generosity of God that we are here today. When we look at creation, when we get out the microscope and the telescope and we examine creation, it's as if everything that God created was with us in mind. Even as you read through Genesis 1, it, it, the crescendos in the creation of, of man and woman, everything that God created was with us in mind. One of the, uh, the ways that people express generosity is through being a, a host, exercising hospitality. God is the consummate host who prepared this world for our arrival as his guest. Everything is in place. Everything is in order. The world is perfectly designed for us. God accounted for everything that we need to prosper, everything we need to be blessed. He created the earth with this fine-tuned precision that is everything is in perfect balance for life to, to um, thrive. We keep looking for life on other planets, and thus far we have not found it. I think what we're learning is that life is extremely fragile. Like things have to be just perfect for life to exist. And here on earth, God has created that. He's supplied us with a, an abundance of food. And you ask, well, why does starvation happen? Uh, the problem in our world is not a, a shortage of food. It's a distribution problem. Uh, he's provided an abundance of food. In Genesis 2, we read that God recognized we also need human relationships to flourish. And so he created the, the woman, the man and the woman. So we have intimate relationships. God created meaningful work. He gave, gave us dignity. He created us in his image and in his likeness. He gave us the gift of a, a daily, close, abiding relationship with him. Everything we have is a gift that God has provided us. He's not been miserly. He's not been stingy. He's not been close-handed. He's been generous. He's been gracious. So this truth is critical for us when it comes to our own generosity. If it's your conviction that you are kind of a self-made person, that you've gotten to where you're at by your own hard work, you've pulled yourself up by your proverbial bootstraps, you've scrambled to, to get on top. If that's your conviction that you're kind of standing on sand and that you've got to look out for number one because nobody else is, then it's going to result in you probably not being as generous because you're thinking, I've got to, I've got to provide for myself. I've got to account for myself. There's no benevolent being out there who's looking out over me. But if you have the conviction that there is a God, a loving God, an almighty God who, who watches you, who loves you, who is gracious to you, who's provided everything for you, then that prompts you to be a little more open-handed, to be a little more generous yourself. We have a solid rock. We have a God who has promised that he, he does watch over us. He says, consider the sparrow. Are you not of much more value than the sparrow? And, and look at the sparrows. I feed them and I provide for them. How much more will I provide for you? To be sure, there is a cost that accompanies generosity. It is a win-win, but it is not without cost. It does cost us to, to be generous. But Jesus says, when you do it, your joy will be complete. There's a joy that only comes as we extend that love to others. 
So creation drips with generosity. Redemption. We see God's generosity all throughout redemption. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is love in action. This is generosity. That God gave his son. That's what love does. Love gives. God was under no obligation to give us his son. We were the ones who walked away from him. We are the, the rebels. God could have let the flood, Noah's flood, he could have let that be the end of the story. No rainbow. We're just, I'm done with this. God could have gone Pontius Pilate on us and just washed his hands and said, I'm, I'm through. But instead, God chose to get his hands dirty. He sends his son into this world. His son leaves heaven. He comes to this world and he lives generously among us. And then in the ultimate act of generosity, he gives the greatest thing that he can give. He gives his life, his life for our life. He looks down from the cross on those who have just put nails through his wrists and through his feet. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He takes our guilt so that in exchange he can give us his innocence. This is generosity. He's generous in creation. He's generous in redemption. And he continues to be generous in his relationship with us as we are being sanctified, as we are being made holy, as we are being made more and more like him. We are all people in process. And until we get to heaven, none of us will have arrived. So we're all on this journey. And, and even though we may have been saved, many of us saved a long time ago, we have this propensity for making messes. It's the one thing that unites all of us. We make messes. The scripture calls it sin. And our, sanctifi our sanctification, our becoming more and more like Jesus is not this straight ascending line up. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, forward, back, speeds up, slows down. And through all of that, God sticks with us. God generously sticks with us. It's not like we needed God's grace once upon a time and now we're good. It is not like that. We need God's grace day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Uh, I remember when Sam was a child teaching him how to ride his bike out here in the church parking lot. And I remember running behind him with my hand on the back of his seat and him, you know, don't let go, don't let go. And eventually I let go and and lo and behold, eventually he figured it out. He learned how to ride his bike without me. Our walk with Jesus is not like that. Uh, if God were to ever let go of the back of the bicycle, we would all be doomed. Like we need his grace always, not just once, but always, as I said, day by day. And because God is generous, he offers us his grace. It is a, a never-ending spring. God has been generous in creation. He's been generous in redemption. He continues to be generous in our sanctification. His generosity is beyond measure. And so Jesus says now, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. I've extended to you this love, this generosity. And now you go out and love one another. This is my command. As I have loved you, love one another. We have everything that we need to do it. 
None of us can say, I'm missing what I need to go out and, and be generous. We have everything that we need. And so practically speaking, what does it mean? How are we called to be generous with others? Does it just mean that I share my cookies? And I want to say that's a great place to start. But generosity is much bigger than that. So Jesus once in a sermon recorded in Luke said this. And I want you to hear these words in the, in the, the framework of generosity. He said this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, so it will be measured to you. Now, if you didn't believe in God, you might look at that scripture and, and call it karma. Jesus seems to be saying what goes around comes around. Like if you don't judge, you won't be judged. If you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. But we do believe in God. We believe that in, in an almighty, all-powerful God, and we recognize that, that it is his gifts to us. He is prom this is his promise, your joy will be made complete. It's actually pretty incredible. He says with the, the cup, the measuring cup that you choose to use to others, I'm going to go ahead and take that same measuring cup and use it to bless you. Now, if you just think about that, why wouldn't we choose as big a cup as we can find? Why would we be miserly with one another and use a little cup if Jesus says, I'm going to go and take the cup that you choose, and I'm going to use that to pour out blessing in your life, and the cup's going to even run over from its sides? A generous person will prosper, the proverb says. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. We can go big with our generosity. It's more than about sharing your cookies. Jesus says, do not judge, do not condemn, and forgive. This is generosity in action. This is love in action. So what does it mean, do not judge? Sometimes those words get misconstrued. Obviously, I think it's a mistake to interpret this to mean that we are not called to make any ethical distinctions about what is right and what is wrong. Jesus is the most generous person to have ever lived, and yet he made ethical judgments all the time. He said to the woman caught in sin, go and sin no more. He challenged the Pharisees. He said, what you're doing is hypocritical. He challenged his own disciples when it appeared that they were becoming power hungry and, and prideful. He confronted that. This is right. This is wrong. Do not judge does not mean don't make any distinctions about what is right and what is wrong. The same God who gave us the law about what is right and wrong wouldn't turn around and say, now don't worry about what is right and wrong. So then what is Jesus saying when he's saying, do not judge? He's saying, I believe, do not be judgmental. You cannot be both generous and judgmental. You can't do both. You've got to choose one or the other. Do not be judgmental. What is judgmental? Well, being judgmental is it's assassinating somebody's character. It's character assassination. Being judgmental doesn't acknowledge the fact that we're all broken, that we all make messes. 
Being judgmental makes all kinds of excuses for your own behavior and gives nobody else any slack. No benefit of the doubt. A few verses later, Jesus would say, why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye, in your sister's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? That's being judgmental. Gossip is being judgmental, especially when it's mean-spirited gossip. It's one of the least generous things that we can do. Judgmental people love to catch other people doing something wrong. Their favorite word is gotcha. They just love to catch somebody doing something wrong. Carefully using our words as little jabs to insult somebody, to put them down, or to make us feel a little more superior, that's being judgmental. Don't judge in this way, Jesus said, and you will not be judged. Then he went on to say, don't condemn there's a Romans 8.1 is a favorite verse for a whole lot of people. It's one of my favorite verses. It, it says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need that truth. That truth is sustenance for my soul. Because the accuser likes to, to convince me and convince us of the opposite. There is condemnation. Like, look at you. I can't believe you did this yet again. That's the accuser's voice. But God's voice there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we are people who have experienced such incredible grace, how dare we turn around to someone else and rain down on them condemnation? Like they need the same sustenance for their soul that, that we need. We need this, this grace. And if Satan is the accuser, then every time we engage in condemnation, we are doing the work of the devil. When we, a sinner, condemn another sinner, it is the pot calling the kettle black. The only one in a position to condemn is God. He is the only one who stands from a position where he can say, this is, you know, this is condemnation, guilty. And when Jesus was asked, why did you come to this world? He was explicit. He said, I came not to condemn the world but I came to save the world. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Do forgive. Forgiveness is an act. It's one of the greatest acts of generosity. When we have been wronged, we have a legal right for revenge. In the Old Testament, they called it an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But the problem with this mentality is that if we took this approach, the world would be full of people without eyes and without teeth. When we've been wronged, we're in a position to hold that over the person's head. And a lot of people wouldn't blame us if we did. In fact, some people will even counsel you, don't forgive them. Like you're in a position now to hold this over them. But that's a hard posture for us to take. To, to leave someone else on the hook when we are people who have been taken off the hook. Where Jesus himself went on the hook, went on the cross for us to take us off. It's a hard posture for us to take that someone else is not worthy of our forgiveness. Generosity, love in action, this is what God calls us to. And it takes the most practical, comes in the most practical forms. Every day we have countless opportunities to practice generosity. 
As I've loved you, now go love others the same way. As I've been generous with you, go and be generous with others. And as you do, I promise, Jesus says, your joy will be complete in a way that you've never known. Join me as we pray. Lord, we do pray that you would open our eyes continually to your generosity. And Lord, sometimes it's our own anxieties, our own stresses that, that we stop seeing just how, how good and gracious and generous you are. And Lord, as we become more and more aware of, of your goodness and love and generosity in our life, Lord, we do pray that you would prompt us to be conduits of your love, uh, that every single person that we come across would, would experience you, uh, experience your love uh, in and through us. Lord, only you can do this through us, so we, we ask you to work. We pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen.